0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to Luke 15, uh, verse 11. Uh, There's a trilogy of parables here, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and of course, the lost son. And by way of overview from last week, if you missed part one, the lost sheep was lost because of ignorance. And so, uh, if you're lost because of ignorance, then you need information, and that information is literally the gospel truth. Because there's no salvation without information. You, Jesus can't take away your sins post mortem. Then we have the parable of the lost coin, uh, which was lost because of the carelessness and neglect of the owner. And so, that owner needed a warning. He Hebrews 2, three says, uh, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Don't neglect the salvation that's being offered to you. And those two parables really are leading up to this third, more detailed parable, which is really in itself a trilogy of three sons. And we're going to talk about the second son today and the third son next week. And first, of course, is the lost younger son we talked about last week who who. Really created most of his own bad circumstances. Remember greed, family division, impatience, recklessness. but some things he didn't cause because he lived we live in a fallen world, and so he was uh, fell prey to famine and uh, and the greed of others. And so he went home. The first parable emphasizes the shepherd's endurance in his search for the lost sheep. The second parable highlights the woman's thoroughness in her search for that lost coin. But this third parable, remember, uh, stresses the importance of prayerful expectation in waiting, waiting for the son to come home. Our greatest weapon in the battlefield for the souls of mankind is this, prayerful expectation, right? And I mentioned three prayers last week that we can pray to God for the lost soul, whether it's a family member uh, or a friend, or even an enemy. And those are, Lord, show them their need. Remember, he said in verse 17, I perish. Verse 18, I've sinned. Uh, verse 19, I'm unworthy. Number two, second prayer, God, bring them to a decision. <laughs> not, uh, don't just help them to know their need. Bring them to a decision about that need. And the prodigal said, I'll arise and go to my father and say to him, and that's exactly what he did. Arise, go, and say. And then third, Father, let them take action. Don't just let them think about it. Let them do something about it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Verse 20, he arose, verse 21, and said, Father, I have sinned. And no matter how filthy the prodigal son was, and y'all, I can imagine he literally stank, like his body, his hair. I imagine he smelled literally like filth when when he showed up at home. His clothes, I mean, he had no money. He had nothing. He'd been living in squalor. But his value didn't decrease to the Father. Amen. And that's where we often leave the story. We just kind of stop there, but there's obviously more to learn from this. And so I want us to read this again. These are the words of God, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them uh, said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. line, isn't it? I hope, I hope for those of you who are still running from the Lord this morning, you will come to yourself. (laughs) He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him And felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field And as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing and he came he called one of the servants and asked uh, what these things meant and he said to him well your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound isn't that awesome but he was angry and refused to go in his father came out and entreated him But he answered his father, "'Look, these many years I've served you "'and I never disobeyed your command, "'but you never gave me a young goat "'that I might celebrate with my friends. "'But when the son, the son of yours, came in, "'who's devoured your property with prostitutes, by the way, "'you killed the fattened calf for him.' "'And he said to him, "'Son, you're always with me, "'and all that is mine is yours. "'It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, "'for this your brother was dead.' And is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Randy Foster to come and pray for our message today. And by the way, I want to thank Randy and the others of our church who cut this grass out here uh, so faithfully each week. And so thank you for helping do that, Randy. you Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for another day and I'll be with Pastor Went. Is he? speaks his message let our hearts be open to receive and i also want to thank you for your forgiveness protection and healing of our family loved ones and friends and i want to thank you too for leading me and Vicky to this church in jesus name i pray amen 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 thank you randy well, we've uh, covered a great deal about the younger prodigal son, but it's, it's really apparent that there are two prodigals here, all right? And the prodigal I want to discuss today is obviously the older prodigal. And I've heard messages about, about that prodigal son, but it tend, they tend to uh, mention, they tend to go along the lines of the, the, the older, the younger son being, you know, really, really bad, right? You know, <laughs> he's a black sheep, uh, wretched, wicked, awful, disrespectful and i pretty much said that last week really bad all right but then when it comes to the older prodigal and this is obviously a generalization a lot of people just kind of treat him as uh, a little less bad right i mean that that prodigal that younger son he was really bad and that older guy i mean he's kind of a punk too not i mean he wasn't as bad as his younger brother right and um I really <laughs> want to dispel that myth today because a lot of times uh, our view of ourselves is a bit loftier than it needs to be. Y'all may have heard about uh, Muhammad Ali when he was on a, in his prime of his boxing career. He was the reigning heavyweight champion of the world. He, was, he boarded a flight. It was a 747 actually. and uh, They were taxiing to, to get toward the runway and uh, the flight attendant came by and said, uh, sir, please uh, fasten your seatbelt." He looked up real cocky. and said, man, Superman don't need no seat belt. And she she quit back. Yeah, but Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> so. We all think we're a bit super, you know, or should I say superior than others. You know, uh, we compare ourselves. We love as Christians to compare ourselves with others. It just kind of makes us look better. Yeah, I mean, I, we lost, but we didn't lose as bad as that team. You know, I mean, I'm ugly, but not as ugly as him. Right. You know, uh, so we always like we, we just we're in the comparing game. And, uh, you know, it's perplexing to me because This is such a huge issue in this text, and it's just, it's not emphasized enough. Why didn't Jesus just stop? Why did he continue the parable? I mean, doggone, we got up to all the good parts, right? I mean, the prodigals come home, we're having a feast, let's end. Class dismissed, no homework for the weekend, right? Why couldn't he have ended the parable? He's talking to Pharisees. I think he had made his point, like, I love lost people, right? That's why I hang out with sinners, you know, but he he had to the very tail end of three parables is this part, and it's perplexing to me. So he adds prodigal number two, the technical heir uh, to the father's fortune. So last week we talked about the, the younger son's circumstances, but what were the older son's circumstances? Well? Uh, we remembered the outward greed of the younger prodigal, verse 12, "Father, give me all that I was coming to me, right? But what about all the hidden sin? That's revealed uh, in the older prodigal, All right? First, he was angry. Luke fifteen twenty-five. The older son came to the house and was like, "Hey, what's up? Uh, your brother came home safe and sound, and your 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 dad's throwing an impromptu party for him." Verse twenty-eight. But he was angry. Wait a minute. My dad's doing what? I'm out there in the field busting my chops. I mean, not technically, because I've got workers working for me, but you know what I mean. Still hot, sweaty, out there. And I'm out there and I come home to this. A party thrown by my dad, by the, for the son who spent all my dad's money. What is, what is he thinking? Why don't you just come on in? Just come on in, you know. Sit. Are you kidding me? If I go in right there right now, I'm going to punch my brother right out the window. Church, let me just say this. Anger is actually commanded in the Bible, all right? There are certain things we should be angry about. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Being angry, that be angry part is a command, right? And there's also the argument that we shouldn't judge others, you know, you know you're, we shouldn't be judgmental. But to say we shouldn't judge others by their actions is just ridiculous, Matthew seven verse sixteen, you will recognize them by their smell of their perfume clothes they wear, house they live in. You the church they go to. No? None of those things are how you recognize them. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. So we shouldn't be judgmental and prideful and arrogant towards someone else. But we can definitely discern. But the anger of the older prodigal wasn't for discernment. It wasn't anger over the laws of God being broken. It was a selfish anger, which leads to the second sin, which is his childishness, Luke 15, 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And so his father comes out and entreats him. Where's all the respect you're boasting about for your father? All this love for your father. Church, I want you all to consider the magnitude of the hypocrisy in the older prodigal's words to his father. He's literally like a baby who's lost all self-control and refuses to go into the party. I mean, couldn't you just come in, grab a drink, get a bite of food, think things through a little bit. You don't got to go talk to your brother yet, but I mean, at least do it for your dad. Who's the rash son now? The anger he feels from his own brother's rash spending... Is now seen in his own actions of rash refusal to go to the party. The awkwardness, remember we talked about awkwardness at the family gathering, right? Yeah, that little brother who lost all self control, now he's losing self control. It's the same sense. He's making everything. He's literally asking for the host of the party, his dad, come out and focus all your attention on me. Forget your guest, it's about me. That's pretty awkward. The selfishness he despises and rebukes in his younger brother, he's actually displaying. At the moment he's rebuking. Right? I don't care why you were celebrating. I don't I don't care that you're happy. I don't care about your feelings. I only care about mine. Whiny. Hypocritical countenance. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. And he wasn't just talking about running in church or something, he's talking about the, the, your attitude. Squabbling over the blessings of another while you literally have everything you need is simply childish. And he's the oldest son. There's an old line that goes, It needs more skill than I can tell. To play the second fiddle, well, people don't like to play that. They want to be the first fiddle. He's angry. He's childish. And third, he's just untruthful. Truthful kind of insinuates full of truth, not some truths mixed with some lies. Luke fifteen twenty nine. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have searched, served you, and I never disobeyed your command really? Uh, Yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. I'll tell you two words that are used in almost every good fight. And they're usually these two words. Always and never. You always. Well, no, they don't. You never, well, no, they sometimes do. <laughs> but if that thing is disobedience in your own life, then you're just being untruthful. You are lying to yourself. 1 John 1, verse 6 If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie And His Word is not in us because God's Word, His Word says we've sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None seeks God. And you're going to tell me that you don't sin? Luke 15, 29, Father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Let me just pause here for a minute and just kind of paint you a picture of who these characters represent in these parables. All right, which I've not done that yet. The shepherd in the first parable is Jesus. Of course, the lost sheep uh, is the lost soul of mankind, and the 99 righteous persons who need who need no repentance. Remember, he left the 99 to go after the one. There are really not 99 who need no repentance, because there are no 99 who need no repentance. In Scripture, God's made that clear. So what does that mean? It means those who think they need no repentance. So those ninety nine are the Pharisees the self-righteous people all right next parable you got the woman and the and she's the once careless owner of the coin and she may re- represent a true Christian who's who was once careless and neglectful with the gospel but now is concerned and goes after the coin and finds it but the emphasis in that parable is moreover the joy she has in telling other people that she's found the coin it's like it's like a, a woman bragging on the deal she got at half off half or something, right? I got this sweater for 50 cents, all right? That's how we roll in here. Y'all may brag because it's expensive, but you, don't, you haven't been in the South long if you don't understand that, all right? So the third parable, the father uh, is our Heavenly Father. Of course, the younger son's the lost soul, now found. So who is the older son? Well, he's the, he's the lost soul with an unknown verdict, all right? The jury's still out, we don't know hanging chads we don't we don't we don't know but we do know that the truth is not in him at that moment right he lied or deflected the truth in literally everything he said except the fattened calf everything the older son said was a lie or deceitful or deflecting the only truthful thing he said was the fattened calf you killed it for him and technically it wasn't for the son it was for the celebration of the return so he he, you could say he got it all wrong he lied about everything he said he kept every single law that the father commanded which is impossible James 2 verse 10 says for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it he said you never gave me a young goat well that was a lie <laughs> verse 31 and he said to him all that is mine is yours Did the older son forget that the entire inheritance of the younger son was gone, but his wasn't? Remember verse 12? He divided the property between them. Remember that when that happened? The property was already divided. It's unbelievable. The son was lying, but the father wasn't. One commentator says that people in ancient cultures attached great value to the eldest son, assigning him distinct benefits and obligations. The firstborn male was important because he was believed to represent the prime of human strength and vitality. as the, He's the opener of the womb, Exodus 13 verse 2, Numbers 18 verse 15. As a result, the, uh, the firstborn son became the primary heir of the family. The firstborn's birthright involved a double portion of the household estate and the leadership of the family if his father became incapacitated or was absent for some reason. Deuteronomy 21 verse 17 says, but he shall acknowledge the firstborn for he is the first fruits of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. No, he, no, I did never give you, I never gave you a, a goat because you own every goat that's left. The older son said of his newly found brother, this son of yours has devoured your property. Well, first of all, he's your brother. Second, he didn't devour my property. He devoured his inheritance. You have your own inheritance, and you can divide it and, and use it however you want. But my property is everything you see around you, everything under your feet right now, the porch you're standing on rebuking me, <coughs> Is the porch I gave you. Mm. Isn't it crazy? This is crazy to me. That Christians who so often hate socialism and communism, you know, somebody else telling us where to spend our money, how dare they? And yet we go to God and tell Him where to spend His grace. That's kind of a pinnacle of hypocrisy, isn't it? Yeah, I'll, I'll give a little bit here. Let's, let's ditch, just dish a little bit out there. You got all of it, friend. You're the firstborn. Angry, childish, untruthful, and fourth, self-righteous. And I almost put ingratitude here because he's obviously ungrateful about the good life his father's provided for him. He's almost unaware that he's blessed by God in that culture to be the firstborn. Luke 2, seven says, uh, according, uh, written of Jesus, she gave birth to her firstborn son. The Bible calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 12.23 says this crazy verse. And to the assembly, that's what we are. Y'all are the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's what Hebrews 12.23 calls every one of you who've called on the name of Jesus. If you've repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, you're the firstborn enrolled in heaven. (laughs) Everybody. (laughs) God performed a miracle. You may have four. We've got four children. But God treats every one of those children. In our culture we miss this. Because in that culture the firstborn was a big, 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 big deal. But here you know it's kind of you know you divide and it, it, it goes all kind of ways. But we're all firstborn. We all get it all. Y'all understand that? In the kingdom of heaven. Maybe not on the kingdom on earth. But in heaven we do. I put in gratitude here because self-righteousness lies... At the root of ingratitude. And you don't usually connect those things, pride and ungratefulness, but they are directly connected. It's apparently such a big problem that Jesus revisits self righteousness again just a few chapters later in Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, the Pharisee standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm gonna tell you, that's actually why I brag on Hunter's songs. Because I believe he's a humble man, and I like to exalt him. Not for praise, but you understand? For gratitude, for thankfulness of God's gifts in his life, in writing songs that we get to corporately sing to the Heavenly Father. Praise God. He could be off in Nashville somewhere writing songs for anybody, but he's writing songs for the Lord. Let another one praise you, not yourself. The highest form of gratitude to a father is to be about the tasks, which the the older son was about the tasks. He was doing the work, but he didn't have the attitude to match it did he? Did you know both in that last parable in Matthew? Both those men came, the tax collector and the Pharisee came to the temple to offer sacrifice, but one came with a wrong attitude. The heart wasn't right. Someone said, self-pity weeps on the devil's shoulder, turning to Satan for comfort. Some of you in this room don't realize it, but you're turning to the devil for your comfort. His invitation is this, come unto me all you who are grieved, peeved, misused, and disgruntled and I, I'll, I'll spread on the sympathy You'll find me a a never failing source of the meanest attitudes and the most selfish sort of misery. At my altar you may feel free to fail and fall and there to sigh and fret. There I will feed your souls on fears and indulge your ego with envy and jealousy, bitterness and spite. There I will excuse you from every cross, every duty, every hardship and permit you to yield unto temptation." Y'all know that a life wrapped up in itself makes a pretty small package, doesn't it? Church, don't miss this. To declare ourselves unrighteous before God and to declare Him holy, knowing that we're not, is the most grateful and rewarding thing you can do to your Heavenly Father. Do you understand that? And it's a benefit to yourself as well. Well, He was angry, He was childish, He was untruthful. Hmm. He was self-righteous, and I really, I think I saved the, the worst for last. He was unforgiving. Now, clearly, the younger brother had wounded the father and probably his older brother. But a good brother, and I want to be a good brother, a good brother would have gone to his father and said, Dad, let, let, me, let me get some horses and go look for him, please. Let, let me let me go okay, look I, i'll just take a few of the workers with me and we'll, let me just go look no no you, no we're gonna wait for him to come home but dad please please let me go a good brother would beg the god of heaven to intervene lord turn back my rebel friend my rebel child my rebel enemy to the lord I think in my my sanctified imagination, I think this older brother had been stewing over this for a long time. I think he was already ungrateful, already selfish and greedy, and he lost sight of the love and kindness that he was actively receiving every day of his life. Let me tell you, friend, when we lose sight of God's eternal and daily grace, we become unforgiving. That's at the core of all unforgiveness What's at the core of unforgiveness is our inability to see what we've been given by God. And in turn, by the way, we become unforgiven. I've recommended this to you before, but there's a there, there's a daily devotional called Solid Joys. It's by John Piper. It's quick, but it's powerful. So if you need a five minutes each morning to, to get alone with the Lord before you crawl out of bed, and I would recommend reading scripture before you ever put your feet on the floors of this wicked world, <laughs> put some righteous feet down. Uh, but you can download it. It's an app. It's called Solid Joys. But in that, this week, uh, he gives a little testimony of Matthew 5.44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He said, prayer for your enemies is one of the deepest forms of love because it, it means that you have to really want something good to happen to them. You might do nice things for your enemies without any genuine desire that things go well with them, right? You know, putting on a show. But prayer for them is in the presence of God who knows your heart and prayer is interceding with God on their behalf. It may be for their conversion or their repentance. It may be that they would be awakened to the enmity, the hatred in their hearts toward God. It may be that they would be stopped in their downward spiral of sin, even if it takes disease or calamity to do it. But the prayer that Jesus has in mind is always for their good. Jesus did this as He hung on the cross. Luke 23, 34, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen did this while being stoned to death. Acts 7, verse 60, falling to his knees he cried out with a loud voice, Lord do not hold this sin against them. Jesus is calling us not to just do good things for our enemy, you know like uh, greet them or help them with some need as Matthew 5, 47 says. He's calling us to desire the best for them to express those desires in prayers even when the enemy is nowhere around. Church, what part of the Lord's prayer don't we understand? Luke eleven four, y'all can say it with me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Honestly, I could have given you one point this morning and sent you on your merry way. I could have put all these sins under the heading of the pride of life, all right? There's a verse, 1 John 2.16, that kind of divvies up all the sins of this world into three general categories, all right? Let's read this. 1 John 2.16 says, "'For all that is in the world,' here they, here's the three things in the world, "'the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, "'and the pride of life is not from the Father, "'but is from the world.'" The younger brother's sins fall under the category of the desires of the flesh, those are the ones that Baptist churches love to attack. You know, drinking, gambling, dancing, you know, all those bad things. <laughs> Even though, I don't know if Will Gambling's probably mentioned in the Bible, but at least two of those are mentioned. <laughs> anyway, uh, the older brother's sins fall under the pride of life, right? So it's easy, you can look at the prodigal son, and the younger, and go, wow, look at that, man. Yeah, we really attack all those outward things. We're angry about those outward things. It's a little harder with the pride of life, isn't it? Because we can put on a show out here. It looks good. It may only pop up every now and then, maybe at work, but no one sees you at work, not in church, you know. You got this other thing going on, this other thing going on in your household. The pride of life, that is what I believe is the main sin of this older brother. And I think God, Jesus was pointing out both of these in those two stories. Both need Christ. But the truth is the older son committed more sin. If you want to go tit for tat, he committed more sin than the younger son. Remember the circumstances of the younger son? Greed, family division, impatience, recklessness. Well, the older son committed all those too. Except he added to it unforgiveness and pride. I want to end with a a picture of a stubborn soul, all right? On the morning of April 19th, 1995, about 27 years ago, Timothy McVeigh parked a rented Ryder truck loaded full of explosives in front of a federal building in downtown Oklahoma. That truck, of course, was a bomb. It went off around 9 a.m. It killed 168 people. 19 of them were children. 700 others almost were, were injured. And, of course, it destroyed a third of the federal building there. McVeigh was later executed for his actions. And at that execution, he didn't speak a single word. But he distributed a piece of paper to everybody that was there, copies of a poem called Invictus, uh, portions of that poem. Invictus means in Latin, unconquerable, undefeated. It's a poem by William Ernest Henley. And I want to read it to you because it's a picture of the true prodigal, all right? And I'm leaving this picture up there because I want you to see a visual image of what the damage of pride does, the damage of self-righteousness, the damage of the pride of life. Listen to this poem. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate. Right, I can do whatever I want. Who cares how straight the gate is? How charged with punishments, the scroll. Who cares if Jesus keeps track of what I'm doing? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Those are his, that last statement or his last words to us. Friend, that means that you've missed, if you think that way, you've missed the purposes and circumstances that God has allowed you to be in that are meant to drive you home to the Father. Failure wasn't fatal for the younger son, right? Jesus chose to leave this parable unfinished. He's speaking to Pharisees. He's not condemned them yet. That was coming. There's a day of judgment coming. But he left it hanging. And he did it to point to the hope that even those prideful Pharisees still had hope of repenting and coming home. So I don't know which son you relate to. Whether you're the the desires of the flesh kind of sinner or the pride of life, I would bank you're both. <laughs> I know I am. But you can come home. And the Father's ready. He's ready. He's ready to throw a feast. We're going to look at that feast next week. Would you stand? Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, I thank you you that I do not know the hearts of mankind what a heavy burden to bear if I knew what every person was thinking in this sanctuary (laughs) but you do know and that can be good or bad I guess but father my prayer is that uh, whether you know or not we would confess to you we know you know but (laughs) we want to confess our sins because now we know we're the prideful brother and we need to come home to you. Father God, we, we pray that you would cast off all arrogance and self righteousness in our hearts, not discernment of other people and who our kids should hang out with. And we don't judge, but we need to have some judgment without being judgmental, knowing that we ourselves are equally wretched were it not for the grace of God. Lord, I pray. That we would stop telling you where to spend your grace. We'd start praying for more of it on our own lives and on the lives of even our enemies. I pray right now if there's people who uh, are here who don't know you, they would understand what a picture of a story of a a father ready to welcome someone home. And you can come home to Christ today by calling on his name in faith. You confess your sins to God and say, Lord, I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. The Lord knows your heart, if you mean it. It's not magic words, but if you call out to him today, he'll answer you and he'll save you and give you eternal life. And if you're a person who's just been coming, sitting on the pews, not doing much for the Lord, and you want to become an active part of this church, then then today's your day. It's a day to serve, a day to join and be part of this fellowship, a local body, where we can minister to the souls of men and women around us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.